0: And like in, in Air health case, you know, I think the most important important thing happened unintentionally. Actually, something we really didn't want to happen, and it happened, and it helped the remaining team. Uh, so this was through COVID. We we unfortunately had, we had to uh, scale down the team. We were above seven hundred people and had to scale down to a little bit more than two hundred. But we've done everything we can to keep the best two hundred, right? Um, so through, through you know one-to-one discussions, uh, talks, uh, vision preaching, uh, you know that, that there is a light uh, behind COVID that it will be bigger, better, and you know um, the team that remains will help, help us reshape and Help to a better company.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Dirt, the podcast where we go deep into the challenges and failures that business owners face while growing their business. I'm your host, Jim Barnish, and today's guest is Tomasz Palishin, CEO of AirHelp, a company that is redefining air passenger rights. If you've ever been underwhelmed by your compensation from the airline for being delayed in travel, because I know I have, Tomasz is on a mission to change that. My favorite part of today's conversation is when Tomash and I delve into how he navigated the turbulence of the travel market in both his company and his mental state. Before we buckle up and take off, a big thank you to our sponsor, Orchid Black, and an even bigger thank you to you listeners. If the insights shared here resonate with you or you think someone can benefit from the content, please share this episode. All right, Tomas, let's dig right in. Who is Tomash and what is AirHelp?
0: Uh, hi, Jim. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a guy living in Barcelona trying to manage this uh, AirHelp um, as a company and uh, 350 people uh, that work for us. Um, and AirHelp is currently the leading legal tech uh, company helping travelers around the world, claiming their... Um, rights in form of compensation, refunds, uh, or travel insurance. So in case of any disruption, uh, we are there to help um, anyone there uh, across the world. Uh, we, we try to help our clients in 18 languages uh, in 24-7 and through, uh, through our, you know, I would say, quite good customer service, um, we currently number one, helping people from you know, 220 countries. Wow. Um, way over a million a year people come to us ask for a different kind of support
1: and is that is that pretty well spaced throughout i know there's a lot of different regulations and a lot of things happening in the industry um especially in the US uh which is where i'm based but you know is it is it all around the world pretty evenly distributed or are there certain areas that are uh hotter than others
0: oh yeah it's a good it's a good question um uh, so actually we are a US company right we are a we are Inc. from Delaware, and so we are one of the alumni of uh, Y Combinator. And um, but very quickly we've realized—it was way before me in the company. Very quickly we've realized the real business is in Europe, so we centered our operations around Europe, where um, there is quite good uh, air passenger ride regulation that you know that supports tra- supports travelers traveling within or outside or to Europe. Um US, uh, as you may know very well, uh, is a little bit behind with the customer rights. Uh, so but we do also work in US quite a lot trying to help clients, you know, to reach um airlines and to kind of talk, talk with them around goodwill compensation and some, you know, usually it's around vouchers and points. But outside Europe, we also work quite successfully in UK. Uh, that is part of Europe, but not EU. Uh, they have a separate regulation. We also work in Turkey. Uh, we've recently started to work in Canada. They introduced their own regulation. Uh, we have quite good um, business and lots of clients in Brazil. And now also more and more clients in uh, Asia, uh, traveling mostly Middle East, but also from uh, from Southeast Asia. Yes.
1: So, so you mentioned the initial focus, focus was in the US. And you see a lot of companies that are trying to you know, get some market entry into the U.S. that might be based somewhere else, but not a whole lot that realize that there's no market for them in the <laughs> U.S. What What was Was that that was all before your time?
0: It was all before my time. I think I think the feeling was that um, uh, Europe might be stronger from the very beginning. Right. I, I don't think uh, folks were uh, that naive thinking your U.S. would be the only market. But, you know, uh, setting up company U.S. where also the you know venture capital is the strongest, and uh, opportunity to grow and succeed is strongest. you know there's always a hope that you can first build in the u s because of the scale of the market and then move on outside well, our journey was a little bit different right we, yeah. we first started in Europe uh what is absolutely normal um uh also the funders were Europeans they were from Denmark, so you know it also helped of course to kinda uh, put the uh, market criteria first and 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 start operations out of here and now ironically we are thinking you know where should we should be open office in us and how quickly we should grow right so uh after 10 years you know we, we, we that you know the circle goes back pretty much
1: well because there's there's some there's some interesting things happening in the us around air travel and where you guys play so talk to me a little bit about what that is and and why the timing is kind of now to start thinking about the U.S.
0: Uh, exactly, exactly, and we are very hopeful of it. Right, there are two things happening in um, within AirHelp and um, and and as a part of what what's there for U.S. travelers. So one, there is extensive discussions going on within um, within the government and you know within DOT with uh, FAA reauthorization, and we are very helpful to see hopeful to see. Um, new regulations, um, drafts topping um, up, uh, whether it's Congress or the House, um, and, and, and the proposals are quite similar to what we see in Europe. So means travelers, we get some, some side of protection. We don't know how far it will reach, of course, this is very early talks, but if everything is okay, this year we should see something happening. And this is not only about, you know, family seat allocation, you know, and the tarmac delays or overbooking uh, or faster refunds of tickets, but also around, you know, compensation for your time lost. So imagine, uh, you are going on your once a year holiday in your one week of holidays. What you have, you know, family of five, you know, have three small kids and. And you really want to go for these holidays because you've promised it to your family. And then you show up at the airport and, you know, there is no plane because it got canceled. And the next one goes in two days uh, and, you know, uh, and in Europe, we have it covered, right? In Europe, we have a compensation model saying, you know, okay, if there is disruption like this, of course, airline has to take care of you. Uh, the ticket refund is fully optional by, you know, also to the nearest flight, and it doesn't have to be the same airline, it can be next, next flight to the destination. But there's also compensation saying, okay, you know, you lost your hours or potentially days and here is, you know, the, in Europe is up to 600 euro compensation and, and something similar if it plays in US it would be very good news for travelers for lost their time. Because going, going on holidays actually is not so critical. It is by comparing to coming back from holidays and then you see, you know, flight is canceled and you miss days at work, kids miss school, you know, all what you can imagine, eh? You have to stay, and you you've just you just checked out from your hotel. You gave back your rental car. What do you do? <laughs> go right. back to the rental car, you know. Go back to the hotel, you know. Call the employer. All of this fix. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is where the compensation model um, plays a very important role, and in Europe has been very successful. So we hope it comes to US.
1: You know, I, I'm interested about. Uh, particularly discount airlines, which I know is kind of big, it's bigger here in the US than it is elsewhere. But I'm just going to take a for instance. So like, Ryanair, I've probably flown 30 times uh, in, in Europe, I don't think I've ever had a Ryanair flight, maybe one or two, that I was delayed less than three hours on. And maybe I'm just unlucky. But I guess the way the way I'm looking at the business model of some of these discount airlines, it's it's almost an expectation on the participant. Like here in the U.S., it would be Allegiant Airlines or you know some of some of the other discount, cheaper airlines. You you sacrifice the knowledge that there's a good chance you're going to get delayed, but you're saving mm-hmm. a little bit of money comparison with some of the larger airlines. So, you know, do you do you see you know some of these smaller discount airlines going out of business the way no, in the way no, that regulates no, no. changes?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, you know, Ryanair is the major airline, the biggest airline in Europe and, and, you know, um, is it very, very, very close to number two or three globally now. Right. So they are massive now and they're doing fantastically with the earnings. If you see, and they do respect regulation in Europe, right? Uh, Maybe in the past they, you know, when they were growing, they, of course, they had, uh, they had some more scheduling issues, uh, currently they do try to operate on time and and if you look in on time performance uh it's for sure not the worst uh and it's improving on time like all the other airlines in europe you know so i I wouldn't say there is a difference between low-cost or non-low-cost airlines i think once you have regulation in place that protects passengers airlines have to take it into considerations while setting up schedules right because then uh, the suddenly I have to look. Okay, I cannot rotate the plane in half an hour, right? Uh, you know, because it takes time. I I I cannot put on schedule forty five minutes flight uh, between uh, I don't know Bristol and and and, and Barcelona because it's not realistic, right? Because then everything above forty five minutes starts counting on delay. So right. let's put it two and a half hours, and then there is no delay because it flies actually two hours, right? So um, airlines starts to plan having customers in mind, right? It's not that they don't have it now in US, they for sure have it. And it's very customers are extremely important for them. But, you know, there are different departments scheduling the planes, you know, uh, making sure that planes are being rotated as, you know, as often as possible, because, you know, the plane earns money only if it flies. Right. So there are some temptations, but once you have the regulation, there is rules of the games. And I think the most important thing is to keep up with the promise, right? If you, the role of the airline is to bring you safely and on time from point A to B. Yeah. And this is what you have to deliver on, right? And it doesn't matter, if it's low cost or not low cost, or the ticket was 40 euros or how for 100 euros, right? Your promise is to deliver people, right? Uh, everything else, ticket prices, market forces, uh, and you know. Honestly, in Europe, you don't really see ticket prices for €40 euros anymore, right? Everything went yeah. up so massively that you can compare the prices of low-cost and no-low-cost airlines today.
1: Yeah, no, that's that, that's interesting. I, I imagine the customer experience becomes uh, even more important as the regulation starts to shift, so I look forward to that happening in the U.S. Um, just, just as a for instance, I had two big delays over the last month that I tried to put into AirHelp, one on Southwest, one on Delta, and I feel like if I was in Europe, it would have gone through, right? But because mm-hmm. of probably the lack of regulation here, in some cases, that's probably why a lot of the U.S. flights will get declined if you go to AirHelp. Is that is that is that the case?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, of course. I don't know details of your flights, but this would be probably the case.
1: Yeah, com- yeah, com- common compared to compared to the Europe. Uh, uh, interesting, yeah. very interesting. So, you know, as as um, as travel continues to recover from COVID nineteen nineteen impact, um, you know, just in general, we went through the last few years. What what other opportunities do you see for uh, companies like AirHelp?
0: so the travel recovery is um, is i think faster than anyone thought right of course yeah. today is very easy to say for everyone well, yeah i of course i knew that right uh <laughs> of
1: course but it, yeah.
0: i know when, when i when, when two years ago we were sitting down and we saw the production projections by IATA and eurocontrol put forward everyone was like is it is it really possible to recover so quick um and you could also see that you could s- seed uh within the airline performance in you know, 2022 that not everyone was really ready for <laughs> for uh, uh for what uh, the data was showing um and uh, yes it recovered very quickly and um and i and the travel sector as a business sector of course is recovering very nicely uh including including air help and there's few things that happened for us right one uh, during COVID, when you know, our revenues dropped to zero, we had the opportunity to look at our product portfolio and rethink it and prepare for the future. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we weren't the ones who thought COVID will finish in a month, but we also weren't the ones who will say it will last for two years, right? We thought, okay, a few months, it will last, and this is too serious for a week or two. Uh, so so you know, we took quite drastic actions very quickly. Uh, And, and one of the initiatives we did, we also looked at our products and what should develop and, and we thought one of the things we really have to bet on is also travel insurance and insure tech. Um, and this is what we tried to, um, execute as good as we could. Uh, and now we see really this, this going very, very nicely across the globe. And for companies like ours, this product diversification really worked and. And travel is such a massive ecosystem that you actually notice when it stops, right? <laughs> so when everything stopped, you notice how big it is, right? You know, and, and then when it restarted slowly, you, you could see the small fruits by you know by revenue streams popping up here and there. And and we as Eric we are hitting revenue records on all the angles today, uh, but only because we 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 tried to be prepared as much as we could for the restart of the business and prepare you know, revenue streams by product diversification and also geographical diversification, right? So during yeah. COVID, we opened, you know, uh, we grew our offices. We opened offices in Spain. We, we've opened offices in, 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 in Brazil, right? To grow, you know, all of, we started Asia and it was all in the middle of COVID when nothing was happening, right? But this was all kind of putting seats (laughs) Uh, when everything is calm and nothing is happening and then when it boomed it it, it exploded all across and and i can only imagine it's for the whole travel ecosystem so all the travel companies we talk to around they see this massive demand on all the angles
1: you mentioned product diversification so is was this an effort in in you know slowing down as a business understanding you know, trying to understand where the world was headed and then having several products that you guys rolled out?
0: Well, it was, it was actually out of fear, right? Uh, uh, so before COVID we were, you know, one horse pony, we had this one product, you know, European claim compensation. Right. And, and when everything stopped in the middle of March, you know, this one horse stopped, right? And then we said, okay, so, yeah. so then we go very quickly. We decide, okay, this cannot happen again, right? But because of the nature where we are, you know, legal tech, travel tech, we say, okay, we cannot go completely out of what we know and, you know, uh, where our talent is. Uh, let's focus on more travel products and, you know, legal tech, and insure tech. And we've tested quite a few things. You know, we've tested many things, or looked on hundreds of ideas, um, but through all of those ideas, you know, we, we identified quickly that uh we have to do one on product diversification, so what we offer to clients and not only claim compensation, but very quickly we realize it has to include like also insurance, and then what kind of insurance has to be. Because we are technology company by heart, and this is what we do, uh we've decided it has to be parametric insurance, so no bureaucracy, no papers. We tell client he's uh, eligible for compensation, not he tells us, listen, you know, it's not like a classic car insurance where, you know, you have incident and then you have to call someone or text to let them know. Actually, no, we know all the flight data. So we know something happens, right? We don't need client coming to us. So we wanted this kind of insurance systems. Uh, so this is what we developed and it went very nicely. And so, And so the parametric insurance. So this is the first first thing, diversify products. And the second thing we've done was look at the geography and see, we cannot rely on Europe either. Uh, so we have to diversify, you, you know, we have to try more in US, a uh, massive market, lots of people. Uh, we have to try more Canada. We have to look at what's happening in Turkey with their new regulation that it was back then was just, you know, shaping. Uh, and we've done that. We went to Brazil saying, okay, Brazil, massive travel, especially domestic market. There must be something for us. And luckily we were right.
1: Mm.
0: And then Asia as a massive hub. We started to partner with big Asian companies, uh, to help their travelers in their customer service, you know, so we diversified our offerings, but also geographic expansion. Uh, in the same time. And it all happened within, you know, 12, 18 months. So it was really hard work. And of course, what you see now, it's only an effect of maybe a hundred failed ideas, right? Because, you know, only few survived and, you know, proved themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. but we really looked, uh, around what can be good for us as a business. And what, what can we pull out with our resources? Right? Because we couldn't go in the middle of COVID, we couldn't go to any of the VC fund or PE fund saying, "Oh, we need more money," right? Right. because no one would look at travel. And so, everything what we've done had been done with what we had, and we didn't have much. Right?
1: <laughs> so, what are what were some of the failures uh, of the products that you guys had to shut down, and and why did you have to shut them down?
0: Well, we tried. One of the things we try, for example, refund for the refund for COVID canceled flights. Uh, that we, at the beginning we we fought very strongly. We have to help clients to refund uh, for COVID canceled flights. Um, airlines were very reluctant, mm-hmm. and it even though we tried very hard because we had thousands of clients coming to us and like please help us with refund. As you may remember, airlines were really delaying. Oh, yeah. uh refunds. Um, but then you know we also talked to uh, many airlines and they you know kind of did say you no know, listen we are losing millions of euros a month right we basically have you know we cannot right and of course you might go into the whole reasons what happened with the airline earnings right uh, before COVID but but it was the reality the airlines are not going to do it quick without government push on them uh, or mm-hmm. bailout or different mechanisms in different countries. Uh, so in the end, we've realized that everything what we've been doing was uh, was pretty much ping pong with airlines without the real effect. So in the end, we, we couldn't really help our clients. And we've been massively frustrated with trying to negotiate it with airlines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to say, okay, uh, sorry, this is not something we can do uh, because it, there is not, we don't see any effect. So we cannot... St- stick to other products, but there was many products, you know, there was, we were preparing one, the whole product line around tax refund for international clients, as you know, when you travel to Europe, you can refund your VAT, uh, value added tax. Uh, so this was one of the initiatives uh, and that uh, in the end, we thought all of these receipts and expenses, um, it's quite of manual work around it. And, you know, it doesn't fit to our technology first approach. Where we want to automate as much and use humans actually only to deal with direct clients to help them to understand the issue, but the back processes we want to have automated. So this doesn't fit our, you know, our way of doing business. And and then we tried different compensation models. Uh, you can say in countries where the law exists but it's not enforceable. Uh, it didn't prove it can we can help clients with it. So we also dropped it. But there were hundreds of ideas. Um and uh some some went to further tests, some went through MVP and dropped them. Uh, but I think this is a part of the part of the experience as well.
1: Yeah, you gotta you gotta have some failures in there, otherwise you're doing something Man. wrong. <laughs> so when when you guys when you guys look into the future, um and you know, obviously there's some really interesting things going on around um you know, around travel right now, two that come to mind for me are, you know, the kind of the rise of digital nomadism of people living, you know, wherever they want, whenever they want which, which is kind of in tandem with, you know, remote work culture, right? Um, when you look at these business trends, um, you know, how do, how do you, how do you think that affects AirHelps growth and, and strategy?
0: If you're asking me about our experience in in this new concept, it's been a difficult journey for us because um, when when the COVID started, of course, we had to close our offices and, and move all remote, and and me personally being completely against working from home. I never believed in it, right? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm of a culture. You have to be in office. You need to have a mentor. You need to sit close to your boss um, and the mentor, sometimes the same, uh, and your colleagues. You know, and you have to constantly arrange them. You have to constantly exchange ideas. You have to constantly adjust and correct yourself in order to grow. And this is probably still very valid, right? But I not think I didn't think you can be efficient and effective out of it out of this kind of office zone Mm -hmm. Um, and and especially you know from the culture of japanese culture when my first jobs were in toyota in japan right when it's you know this you know go and see and test and try and get dirty right and this is what was so deeply in my my brain but but luckily being you know beyond technology company we, we we've set up different kind of monitors and and screens on the, on the efficiency of the systems and how people are working and how the claims are, you know, and, or insurances going through the system, are they going slower, faster, quicker, are the results with success? And we've re- realized through through COVID that actually our efficiency per employee, the metric I don't really like, but it is what it is. Uh, so uh, throughput per employee is growing, right? And this comes from different... Angles one people are more focused, less meetings, right? Uh, No travel, so of course they have more time because they don't have to go for coffee, then go to printer. You know, they don't do many things, so they have more time to actually sit and focus on their core job. Mm -hmm. But it also comes from from uh, from us being we have to help people now. Actually, we really have to help them (laughs) because they are stuck at home. So. We've invested in them even more in automations, right? We've invested in, we invested more in tools that help people perform their job better because we had to do it, right? <laughs> there was no other choice. And, and this proved me that actually this can work. So now AirHelp, everyone works on hybrid mode. So we have people who come to office five days a week, like myself, because they want to. Uh, you are absolutely fine to come one day a week. And we also have a number of people who come only when there is important meeting. And meeting being in a workshop or brainstorming session, right? So, um, and this proved to work. So now we, I wouldn't say we are massive fans of remote work as such, uh, but we've we found a solution for it that can work. And we also see, you know, various other companies that can, you know, they also work similarly, and it works for them. Of course, there are some industries that is not acceptable completely, and I also get it. But in our type of the business, when you are a technology company, it doesn't matter so much. and actually makes it easier for us in many cases, you know, we operate 24, 7, 18 languages, right? So it's easier for us to have people, you know, living in Brazil or in the U.S. covering different time zones mm-hmm. and, and speak or speaking the languages there within their, their own time zone, right? Versus in the previous model, we would be so focused on having everyone in in the the what we called claim processing center it was like a massive office speaking you know eighteen languages and we would bring people from all of the countries to this one office and make them move and sit there, and then after two years that they would be unhappy because we brought them there, you know, they don't really like it anymore. But now it seems like everyone will be happy because everyone still had the same choice. They can still go and relocate if they want to. This office is still the biggest office we have, but more and more people decides to work from the destination where they feel comfortable in their personal iPads, also effective at work. Right. It has to be also effective at work, right? Otherwise it doesn't, you know, there is no win, win, win anymore, but, um, it worked for us and, and I see it works
1: for other companies. Yeah, no, that's, that, those are good points. When, when you look at those same trends in line with, you know, maybe the increase in people traveling because they're being digital nomads or because they're going from place to place a little more often, do you, do you see that affecting AirHelp's business outside of your own workforce? Um,
0: we, we see a little bit. We see a little bit, but it's not massive force, right? Remote work is not dominant, Type of work, you know, majority of the businesses has to stay put, you know, uh, you know, warehouse employees, you know, road construction, uh, and you know, retail, it has to stay. So actually, the business that can work remote is probably around ten to fifteen percent of the workforce. And then, uh, what we see growing the fastest currently, what we see is something what we call VFF, so visiting friends and family, right? And within this, it's a lot of nomad, uh, nomad uh, workers within this group. So, but it's not the entire group, but within this group, is a lot of people who are remotely, and they take advantage of the opportunity compa- company gives them. And, you know, being, you know, we have several Brazilians working for our office in in, um, in Barcelona. You know, they can now go home for a month, and they go of vacation, three weeks of work out of there, right? Mm-hmm. So we see this behavior Coming um, quite quite a lot, still not dominant uh, travel, uh, but within the bigger group of business um, friends and family, it is the grow, the fastest growing travel group.
1: Interesting, you, you mentioned a little bit about um, your own evolution in thinking about remote work, and you know, being against it completely, right, and then eventually evolving in your own you know your own perspective. Are, are there any other uh, call them leadership or management style evolutions that you've experienced in the way that you know you drive growth in the team?
0: I think um, what I'm trying to be focused is, is you know on, on, on two very simple aspects, right? One is performance uh, of the of the individual and of the team. Uh, and another thing is trust, right? Trust that the person makes the right decisions and trust that the person, uh, governs its own team in the right way. Right. And, and, and this also, you could see it also through remote work experience, right? In, in one moment, I had to trust that this will work and the people actually will keep working from home. Right. They will not have, they will have potentially more distraction, but they will keep working and I had to trust it right at the beginning and now I completely trust them that they know what they're doing and they will keep working and they're hard working and that they make all the decisions and if needed if needed I trust them they come to the office because you know the in-person experience on the workshop you cannot replicate online right at least not today right maybe in the future you will so this is about, um, uh, so it's all about trust that the people are with you are the right people. And of course, a lot is my own choice, right? Because I hire a lot of people and, uh, but the other aspect that's equally important is the performance of the teams and individuals uh, that that you have to be able to measure, right? Through various, uh, uh, various KPIs, OKRs, whatever you call it. Um, but, you know, one, you have very emotional trust and then you have this very analytical performance. And if you, if you strike a good balance with, with, with the people that work with you, um, I think this is, this, this is a winning solution. And, and also I know whenever I go also bring some people from my previous company or people I know, uh, it is because of the trust uh to them i can, i trust them that they will do their job basically and uh and this is as simple as this right there is no uh anything that you know um that you have to write uh, or read uh, a business book about it right <laughs> yeah. uh it, it, it comes down to hard working people uh, who you who you know and you you know how they work and you know their pluses and minuses and you try to balance with the new hires, you try to balance the manu minuses so they cancel out, right? And and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: So w- when you're looking at um, talent development, um, how how do you ensure that your team members and your your team leadership and you know everyone on the team continues to grow and and level up in their abilities?
0: Yeah. So. I think some of the things happen like in in AirHelp case. You know, I think the most important important thing happened unintentionally. Actually, something we really didn't want to happen, and it happened, and it helped the remaining team. Uh, so this was through COVID. We we unfortunately had, we had to uh, scale down the team we we're above seven hundred people, and we had to scale down to a little bit more than two hundred. But we've done everything we can. To keep the best 200, right? Um, so through through you know one to one discussions, uh, talks, um, vision preaching, uh, you know that that there is a light uh, behind COVID that there will be bigger, better, and you know um, the team that remains will help res- help us reshape and help to the better company. So the core of the team that stayed really helped us to progress on various topics as we discussed. Uh, but also, you know, uh, you know, we initiated with the team various other topics like, you know, um, data mining and the whole da- data-driven culture. You know, so we kept really the best people, very analytical, hardworking, uh, committed, and with with potential to grow further. Right. So, and with that, something what we didn't think about happened. The the performance level of the team by the virtue of who stayed went up. Right. So you can say the average, average throughput of the person, of course, because the best, the better part of the team stayed, went up, right? So Mm -hmm. then when we started to hire people, new people, what we've noticed, their benchmark, it's completely in different place than it used to be, right? Because then benchmark, they have to now meet the average of the existing team, right? That is, you know, a few points higher than it used to be before COVID. Mm-hmm. So that every new hire that comes to the company, you know, have, has to kind of level up to the average. So the entire performance of the company keeps up. And of course, our job is to make sure it stays there, and right? so that so the company doesn't, you know, average down again because of the number of people we hire. And it, and it's you know it's it's a lot of work. It's difficult. Um, but this is one of the things that happened in our company and you know we've noticed it only when we really started hire people after after um, after the COVID stopped, so let's say since since last year. And then and then to answering your question on what do we do today on it, um, well I think is to constantly challenge uh challenge people and challenge challenge the solutions. Um constantly ask yourself, you know, why do you think this is good, right? um and asking question also within the team or workshop what is good you know, what what do we judge good uh, and for different company good is different thing right what is what, what is good for us right uh, and this can be on values it can be final conversion it can be sla of the important system it could be um brand recognition it can be market share right uh it can be uh, uh okr delivery uh, it can be employee survey, right, uh, responding to you know, some emotional questions. What is good? Uh, what do we judge as good? Uh, and what do we judge as not good? And it's an important question because there's a lot of companies I've met in the past that say, well, we are perfect. But then when you look at what they do, it's like, yeah, okay, your notion of perfect yeah. is probably not what my notion of perfect is, right? Uh, so it's also very important to kind of have this calibration within the teams.
1: What, what lessons did you learn from, from all of that, um, around attrition or, or just around anything, you know, any, any key lessons that other founders can learn from?
0: Um,
1: I think you, you always
0: should try to retain the best employees, right? This is, this is number. I think this is no brainer. Hiring new person is so much more expensive and a massive risk, but If someone mentally decides to leave and comes to you, it's like, listen, I found a new job. I almost never try to keep the person. Um, And and there's always this, you know, this bunch of, you know, uh, people behind me who the people potentially report to. Like, oh, you have to keep him. We have to give him salaries. We have to give him this. He has to stay. He has to stay. He's so critical. First of all, no one is critical, right? Uh, uh, Second, if... Person already did mental move. Keeping him probably is keeping him or her for another six, maybe twelve months. Right? This person is already mentally explored different ideas, and it will stay in this way. And and it's only right for the person to explore it. And and then I'm completely fine if this per- if this person comes back, right after the twelve months or whatever it is of, of experience, mm-hmm. they come as like, ah, okay, the grass is not greener on the other side. Uh, uh, you know, I, ex, you know, I had a good experience, but actually I like people here. Right. So absolutely. Um, I'm absolutely happy to see people coming back, but uh, yeah, don't keep people. Don't force them to stay. Um, but this is with the attrition we you know. Currently in Earth, like, we have actually opposite problem. We have no attrition. So, so now we are battling this, what to do, right? Because. Uh, you can manage, like, of course, for the year, probably, maybe two, but then you have to think how to bring fresh blood to the teams, right? So, how to, so there's, of course, many options. One option is to uh, start mixing people, start mixing people between teams, right? So this, you know, cross-divisional movements uh, mm-hmm. between people, um, maybe looking back on the performance and saying, okay, maybe the bar became too low. But even though we know it's already high because of our experience. Uh, and so we should probably think something about this, uh, or should we force new recruitments to just for the flesh blood kind of thing and new ideas. And so we have now the separate, um, a, another problem and the, the lack of, lack of attrition. So, um, but with very, very high attrition for us, it was a devastating. Uh, if you, if I remember COVID for. I had probably several calls a day trying to explain people, you know, why we have to go separate ways and it's probably one of the worst experiences in my life Um, because in a lot of times there were, you know, people who had given their heart for the company and and years of service and, and, but, you know, we were facing bankruptcy very quick if we don't do anything, right? So we had to protect what we could. and every day, almost every day, uh, we've been—I've uh, been counting people. It's like how many more I have to—I uh, have to have—I know those calls with, and and it was devastating calls, right? So um, it's so much better to be in a growing company, yeah. <laughs> and especially if you if you can grow uh, profitably, like we do now. We try to do now. We try to stay healthy, profitable, uh, and so. then you have a story for the employees that of course also believe in the future of the company. Especially that you know, after all they went through in the in the past years.
1: Yeah. No. Well. Well said. Well said. All right. Uh, let's close us off today with uh, quick founder five five quick hit questions about you and your growth. Um, first one is uh, the top metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on. <sighs>
0: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a it's a tough question because I probably manage like hundred KPIs a day on a very quick scan. And yeah. because, but because we are half B2B business, half B2C, I do put a lot of effort on focusing on B2C part, because B2B, once you said, uh on B2C, I I look very carefully on media cross profits. So this is revenue minus cac. Uh so it's the trends are always stable, ideally up. Uh, but for sure, not losing money on B2C front.
1: Awesome. All right. Uh, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself.
0: I think a cliche, but the team is everything. Uh, you can have whatever vision you want, whatever plan for the year, but if you don't have the right team to execute it and you don't make sometimes hard decisions around the team. it's it's a road to Norway, 10 teams is everything. Uh, And then then the second one is preach and mentor and and focus this team on real practical problem solving. Uh, Too many times we don't solve problems, but we solve results or effects. um, uh, Something we see, but actually it's not underlying problem. So focus and preach and mentor team on practical problem solving.
1: All right. Uh, favorite book or podcast that has helped you to grow as a CEO? Well,
0: I'm I'm close to 45, so you know I'm from the generation that still read books. <laughs> um, uh, and about the book I think I remember the most, and I uh, make a very strong impact on me very very early. I think during my MBA or just before my MBA was "Good to Gray" uh, by Collins, and, right. and I, and I think for me, this was eye-opener. Um, I was working for Toyota back then, and uh, I realized, actually, I'm lucky working for Toyota. Uh, and, and, of course, the following book as well was great.
1: Excellent. All right. Uh, a piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom.
0: Um Again, cliché, don't overcomplicate, simple and slim solutions, but this is, I would say, it's traditional already. I would say, always look for problems. It doesn't mean you have to solve all of them, right? Uh, But always look for problems. Problem as a, you know, also definition of the problem is tricky sometimes, right? Problem is is a gap between ideal scenario and where we today, whatever it is, right? So there is a gap there. So every problem is an opportunity of, of sort, right? So look for problems because you know then you look, then you will see all the opportunities. Then of course yeah. you prioritize with the team what to buy, it, but look for problems.
1: That's great. All right, what is going to be the title of your autobiography?
0: Probably I would say a family guy, but non non cartoon edition. So i not. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: Not Peter Griffin. Uh,
0: no, 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 no. Uh, I, I don't think my autobiography. I would like it to be about my work. Uh, I think it's uh, there is much more hopefully to be said later on. Uh, and uh, I would, I would like that a lot of this is around my family.
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, you've given uh, a ton to our listeners today, Tomasz. So, time for a little bit of self promotion. How can how can those listening help you out?
0: Um no, thank you thank you very much for for having me. It was it was a great pleasure. Um uh, I'm a I'm becoming a big fan of, of your podcast. And <laughs> and if you're out there listening, if you need any help, um you know please reach out. Uh we are here to help um as well. And um uh doing great job, Jim. Thank you very much.
1: Hey, thanks for coming on and uh to so those of you out there, thank you for listening to The Dirt. Tomasha's story is a wonderful one and um, a lot of good lessons learned today. So thanks for joining us, Tomasha. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for if you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.